was going to run out and I wasn't going to have one. <laughs> Only had a couple weeks left to have one. I thank God I had one this morning. There's nothing wrong with praising God. We can't praise him enough. We can't worship him enough. We can't bring honor and glory to his name enough. He is more than worthy of praise to come from a child of God's lips for what he's done. We really have no concept, humanly speaking, of what really God has done for us in salvation. What we have in Christ Jesus. Those songs our brother sang one day, you know, they got all kinds of names, we're called at home. There's no door unlocked in heaven for the child of God. It's going to be a wonderful place. And I encourage you this morning, if you're not a Christian, uh, today would be the day that you get born again. It would be a wonderful day to have it happen in your life. I, uh, we had a, a horrible trip getting here. A plane got canceled, and I don't know what happened to me. I was... They, I have to walk with a cane to the airport for two reasons. One, it helps me, and I, hurt, I have a bad knee. And the other one, they let you get on the airplane right after the people in the wheelchairs. So it <laughs> uh, really helps. Uh, but a stewardess wanted to put it somewhere, and I wanted to put it where I always put it. And so I was, after she left, I was going to put it where I always put it. And I don't know what happened. I think my sport coat got caught on... Uh, uh, seat or the, my something, but I broke my watch. Not the part that works, but the band all around it and broke and couldn't find the piece. So I was kind of worried till I got up here and I see we have a clock. So I know some. I told a couple people before church about that and they got a little worried. They wanted to lend me their watch. One of them was kind of a nice watch. I wish they just gave it to me. God would have blessed them greatly. But I want you to look at two places in your book this morning. I want you to look in 1 Chronicles chapter 2. I don't think I'd ever gotten a message in my life out of, out of the first nine chapters of the book of 1 Chronicles. But I was reading through there in my devotion, and I saw something, and it kind of triggered something else in my mind. I want you to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 2. I'm going to read what I want to read, three or four verses there, and then... Mark chapter 14 and verse number 49. So those two places in our book. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, I read these words the other day. And the sons of Carmi, Achor, the troubler of Israel who transgressed in the thing accursed. And the sons of Ethan and Azariah, the sons also of Hezron that were born unto him, Jeremiel and Ram and Kalobi, and Ram beget Aminadab, and Aminadab beget Nashon, prince of the children of Judah. And I saw this great contrast between Achor, who is Achan, and it's just spelt differently in different places on purpose, and there's a lot of Bible names like that throughout our book. But he was called the troubler, the troubler of Israel who transgressed. And the thing occurs. And you know what he did. He stole uh, those Babylonish garments and some shekels and some silver and et cetera and put it under his tent 
And of course that caused a great tragedy. They had never lost a person in the battle and uh, some 30 some men were killed and so a great price was paid by Achan with his life and his whole family over that transgression. But then there's the contrast between him and Nashon in verse 10, the prince of the children of Judah. He was such a great man. It was Nashon, if you follow him through the scriptures, we won't have time to do it this morning. But he was the first to do anything and everything in regard to Israel's uh, time in uh, the wilderness and so on, and when they would encamp, his was the first camp built. When they got ready to leave, he was the first camp. He was a leader of men, Nashon was. So it's a great contrast there that caught my attention. And then I read this verse in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 49, considering... Uh, the disciples. Jesus said, I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then verse 50 said, and they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we've enjoyed being in your house this morning. We're thankful for your goodness and your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us the protocols of heaven. Teach us some of the etiquette of thy kingdom and the graces of your glory. So that one day when we arrive at that place that our brothers sang about called home, that it won't be so strange. Here, God, you would help us to endeavor to live a holy life. Have a clear testimony and a godly example of the grace of God. May our voices be accustomed to praising you. May words like glory and hallelujah and praise the Lord and amen not be foreign to us. Help us, oh God, in these few minutes to convey the simple thought that you've impressed upon my heart in recent days. And may our congregation, may the hearts of men and women and children and young people be changed. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. I want to talk to you for just a few moments on what I call the contrast of life. Comparing Achan or Achar uh, with Nashon. And you know about the Cains and the Abels of our book. And the Sauls and the Davids. And the Demases and the Pauls. And the Judases and the John. And the elder brother and his younger brother. We call him the prodigal. From the startled shepherds. And the seeking wise men to the disciples. Jesus in our text in Mark is in the garden of Gethsemane. I've got written next to verse number 50 in my Bible. The saddest statement in all of the book of God. They all 
forsook him and fled. Says the same thing basically in Matthew 26 and 56. Now you think about it. What these disciples had experienced for three and a half years. What they had seen with their eyes. They had forsaken their nets at one time. The bulk of them did and followed Jesus. They had seen the dead raised, the blind receiving their sight, the lame leaping, the dumb speaking. They had seen thousands fed on multiple occasions with a handful of bread and a few small fishes. John said this in his book in closing. Basically that everything that had been done by Jesus in those few short years, if they all were written down, the libraries of the world could not contain the books that should have been written. And they all forsook him and fled. The contrast of the seeking shepherds of the field in Luke chapter 2 and the wandering wise men from afar in Matthew chapter 2. The shepherds had seen nothing. The wise men lived in a far country. But they came by faith. The shepherds heard heavenly singing. The wise men followed a wandering star. And both of them, both units say, told others on the way. The wise men, when they got to Jerusalem, they told Herod. Of course, Herod took it wrong. He occasioned the death of all the children, you know, under the age of two. I ask you this morning, where are you in regard to this relationship, this contrast of life? A disciple that has forsaken? A wise man that is seeking? A shepherd that is listening? Where are you? In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it's a strange statement. It says a living God is, excuse me, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know this as well as I do. There are two types of life. There is physical life. All of us in this room have that. The bulk of us in this room have the other life, a spiritual life. Before you're saved, the Bible said, you know, I, I love Amazing Grace, that song. And there's a phrase in there, he saved a wretch like me. A wretch. A wretch is a wounded, wicked sinner. 
But we're not just wretches before we get saved. The Bible says we are dead in trespasses and in sins. Dead. Dead. After salvation, we've been quickened. We've been made alive. The Holy Ghost imparts His divine life in us. Second Peter chapter 1 says that we are partakers of His divine nature. Every child of God has that dwelling inside of him or her. It's put this way in another place. This treasure that we have in earthen vessels. The excellency of God's power is explained and expressed and empowered in us after we're saved. Now that little phrase about a living dog is better than a dead lion. A living dog can be taught to obey its master. But a dead lion can't figure anything out. He's dead. Where are you? The question is, briefly this morning, where are you in regard to Jesus Christ? Are you trusting him and testifying? Are you denying him and, or disgracing him? Are you a faithful disciple or a truant? Delinquent? Now here's a practical explanation or exposition of my theme this morning. Dad and mom saved. Uh, I heard, I don't know how many testimonies this morning in Sunday school. We've heard some in church service about people who got saved. A couple of people this morning in Sunday school they gave the date that they were born again. I can tell you the date that I got born again, March the 15th, 1970. My wife, who wasn't, we weren't married then, we were engaged. She got saved March the 17th, 1970, two days after I did, in a revival meeting at my father's church. There were 33 of us that got saved that week. Dolphus Price was the preacher what wonderful, tremendous uh, move of God in that church. So here's mother and dad. A mother and dad get saved. They're faithful. They're vibrant. They're dedicated. They're sold out to God. They're committed. They're, they're faithful to every service. They, they're involved in the Word of God. They're learning and they're enjoying and they're experiencing the blessings of God. You could describe with a multitude of superlative adjectives uh, what has happened in their life. You could say it in a uh, colloquialism. Uh, they're sold out till the cows come home. Or they're faithful until the stars fall from their sockets. I mean, these are dedicated, sold out Christian people. And then there's the second generation. There's their children who have all the benefits of a godly home. Faithful mom and dad go to the Christian school, 
Sunday school, vacation Bible school, youth camps. They don't know what it was like to be dug out of a pit, a horrible place of wretchedness. They grew up in church. They, they lived in spiritual comfort, for lack of a better term. They lived in a commodious element of Christianity. They didn't get off in deep sin. They, they weren't out in the world. They grew up to serve God and live God, live godly. And they get saved along the line, maybe as a young person, maybe as a teenager. They get genuinely born again. They're not any less saved. But they just don't have that point of reference in their life. My brother John, you know him, he says a little bit humorously, he said, I was saved out of a deep life of sin at the age of six. Knowing him, he probably was. But then you have, then the grandkids show up down the road of life. And some negatives begin to show. Some lack of commitment. Oh, you know, I've gone to church all my life. I, it won't matter that much if I miss here, there, and this place. You get down maybe to that fourth generation. They don't even go to church anymore. Their job has become their place of worship. That's where they invest their lives and their time, maybe in their, their accumulation of things over time. And now we have a whole another wonderful group called Re Recovering Fundamentalists. What a foolish term that is. You say, what is a recovering fundamentalist? That's a kid, a second or third generation fundamental, grew up in a fundamentalist home. We're fundamental, independent Baptists, basically. And they, they rejected all the things of their past, and they want to correct things. They didn't, they didn't like growing up here, and the problem with them is they did not genuinely get born again. Just didn't get saved. Well, they might have had their name written down in the family Bible, but they didn't get, get it written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You could, have, you could have your name written down in every family Bible in this church. It wouldn't get you one second in that place we're going to call home one day. I don't know why. It, I don't know why it doesn't get passed down. I don't know why disciples who had seen everything all forsook him and fled. And shepherds who had seen nothing came seeking him as a babe in a manger. When you think about those that forsook him, John, they all did. Peter, James, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, you name them. They all left him. They all turned.
turned tail and ran. In the most striking hour up to that time of Jesus' life on earth. And when he was crucified, most of them weren't there. Some were far off, but they were ladies. Women were far off. I'm glad they were because of the circumstances of his crucifixion. I think out of respect for him. And then a few were there. John was there at the end with Mary. You know the story. I don't understand why it doesn't get passed on properly. I don't know. I don't know what impacts and affects folks negatively towards the gospel over time. I could, I have like birds flying through my mind. The names of people that I could name that you don't know. That I've seen them in their new birth and I've seen their children. And then I've seen their grandchildren. They don't even have a they don't even go to church anymore. They're not even interested anymore. The religion that mother and dad had and grandpa and grandma, that's gone. Amen. You could walk through the portals of your mind this morning and you could think of others and it might even be a family member of you. You have a child or grandchild that going to church this Sunday morning was the farthest thing from their mind. What contrast that is to me. Sometimes you, I think perhaps uh, like in the really race of life, somebody's dropped the baton somewhere. Somebody's said something in the privacy of the family that turned people against the things of God. Maybe something's happened and it's been exaggerated way beyond what... Listen, I know things that happen in our family of Christian brothers and sisters. My wife doesn't know. I'm not, she doesn't need to know some of the negative things I know that have happened in people's lives that we love and care about. You know, well, preacher, I like to gossip. Well, you ought to get on the altar and get that taken care of. You know, you know preacher, God's given me the uh, spirit of criticism. I like, to be, I like to criticize everything. I wonder if that impacts this drawing away in some people's lives. I think sometimes we've uh, discounted the family altar. The family altar will alter your family's life. If you're a mother and dad here today with young children and you don't have a family altar, you ought to incorporate one. You ought to dedicate yourself to having one today. Of reading that Bible with your children and praying with your children. 
one of the most impactful things you'll ever do in your home. You say, well, I'm, you know, I just don't have time. You're a fool. To not spend some time in the Word of God for those little boys and girls that grow up in your home. Oh, I leave that to the Sunday school teacher. Well, man, that's just one day a week for a few minutes. And you might have a Sunday school teacher. I think he's in heaven today. Like I had when I was a boy, he taught us how to throw a curveball. That's all I can remember from that man. He didn't teach the Bible. He just taught us crazy stuff. The other stuff that was even crazier than the crazy stuff that went through my mind just then. You know what's sad? It's sad when a Christian's life reflects the culture around us more than the Christ that's within us. I think one of the most damaging things in our nation over the last 50 plus years has been the television. That reflects that culture of the world. You can go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but you have other things, the culture of this world that is just so corruptive and impactful. I don't know. You know, the old preachers, they used to preach a lot against television. They said, well, you know it has a knob. Now they don't have knobs. You don't even have to get up and turn the junk off. You can sit there. God help us. I think sometimes our children know more about Santa Claus than the star of Bethlehem. You say, who, what, who was the star of Bethlehem? Jesus is the star of Bethlehem. They know more about the Christmas tree than the tree on Calvary. We know more about jingle bells and we need to know more about Jesus. More of that saving crimson flow. I love that old song, more, more about Jesus. I remember being in Israel one time and a guy that was in the old Burning Hell film, he, he played uh, the high priest, had a wonderful deep voice. We were somewhere had a service, and for the first time in my life, I heard somebody really sing that song like it ought to be sung. More about Jesus would I know. More of that cleansing crimson flow. I'll tell you, that became one of my 44,000 favorite gospel songs. <laughs> Sometimes the kids are more interested in toys than putting their faith and trust in Jesus You know what I see a little bit around churches and people I know? Families are reverting back to what they were before their redemption. How in the world? How in the world can we drop these things that have helped us to be the separated, sold-out, dedicated sons and daughters of God 
for the things of the world. Why do I want to be a forsaking disciple instead of a seeking shepherd? I, I read this book every day like most of you do. The world seems to have us so engrossed in its grasp that God has been just squeezed out to just a few minutes at church. We put him on the back burner of our lives and our homes and our businesses. When our book says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I think we've got things backwards. I think sometimes we've got our priorities mixed up. Oh, it's family first. No, it's Jesus first. It's my business first. No, it's Jesus first. Really, it ought to be Jesus first, second, third, fourth. <laughs> we could somehow, I hope you can see the thought that so thundered into my thinking. Here's Achan. Here's Nashon. Here's the disciples. Here's the shepherds. Here's the disciples. Here's these wise men. I don't even know if the wise men were ever, ever got converted. I don't even know if the shepherds even ever got saved. But they had enough sense to seek and to follow the star that led to Jesus Christ. I hope this morning... My only goal in preaching what I felt like God, this is fresh bread. <laughs> is that our focus would be on Him. Not just Sunday morning at church. Not just uh, when it's convenient. But all the time. I was at the preacher's house today and looking around in his office and I pulled a, a book off the shelf that frankly I'd like to steal, but I told him I'll wait till I'm here in May and I'll read it then. But in the flyleaf of that book, this man, he followed Spurgeon to that pulpit he said, we need to trample on Saul's armor. We need to grasp the book of God and trust the spirit who wrote its pages. Fight with this weapon only. Cease to amuse. Seek to arouse. Shun the delighted audience, but listen for the sobs of the convicted one. I, I don't know. Uh, preachers. I don't know what we're looking for. But we ought to be looking to, by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Ghost, to somehow transplant Holy Ghost conviction in the lives of our listeners that there needs to be a change. 
a drastic, definite decision between life lived this way or life lived that way. Life of forsaking disciples or a life of seeking shepherds and searching wise men. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes today in this old book. I pray there would be those in the room that would take a quick spiritual, mental inventory of their own lives and then the impact of how they're living on others around about them, specifically of their own families. I don't think there's a saved, born-again grandfather or grandmother in this room that wouldn't want all of their grandchildren to be saved. They wouldn't want all of their children to be saved if they were a parent. There wouldn't be a brother or sister that wouldn't want all of their siblings saved if they were saved. There wouldn't be a young person here today that has a lost mom or dad that wouldn't want to see them saved. I pray, Lord, that the effects of our lives would have a spiritual impact on those that you put in our family circle, those that you brought across the path of our life, people we work with, our neighbors. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. For 34 years, Our garage and a neighbor's garage, about 30, maybe 40 feet apart. A couple of weeks ago, we called her the greatest neighbor in the world. I visited her in the hospital. I whispered it. Last thing I said to her, have faith in God. Within three or four hours, she was in eternity. My wife has talked to her, I've talked to her. I don't know where she is today for sure. But I don't think it's at home we, our brother sang that. They asked me to preach her funeral. They said we're Catholics non-practicing. You know what I want to be? I almost said Baptist, and I am a Baptist. But I want to be a Christian that is practicing. That is doing the will of God and the work of God and the things of God in our homes and our children and our grandchildren and on down the road of life. Are seeking God coming to him. Here we are at this Christmas season. We'll see family and friends, perhaps, that we haven't seen since last year or a few months ago or at a funeral last time we saw him. Listen, friend, 
Number one, if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, you ought to come today and get in this altar and get born again. If you're a mother and a dad, grandpa or grandma, and you've got a family and there's things there in your life that need to be taken care of, and you've got family members and loved ones that are going the wrong way, you need to fill this altar this morning praying for them. Brother Sam's going to sing whatever he wants to sing. We're going to quietly stand our feet. and Some are going to find their way to this altar this morning and do some business with God in behalf of others. In, be in behalf of others. Because of the needs in others' lives. Friend, if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, you need to come this morning and let God save your never-dying soul. Would you come? Sing, sing. More about Jesus Would you come? Would I know Would you come? More of His grace to Save, lady. What about it, sir? Young person. You genuinely born again? Would you come? God bless you, lady. Oh! 